Good evening from Los Angeles, ladies, gentlemen, people in between. This is Holiday Kirk with the New Metal Agenda. With me today are my co-hosts, Wolf Rambats. Wherever he may be. God, God, God bless him. God bless the guy. Grandfather. Good evening, everyone. Dub. Double. What's up, everybody? Big celebrity guest. Maybe not quite this time, but it is a big celebrity guest to me as he as a I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna let the guy himself introduce himself. We got Brian Reisman in the building. Brian, is it fair to describe you as a journalist? I think it would be. I don't call myself a critic so much as a journalist. I think critic mm. became like a, a term that got a little tired, especially when like, you were in the metal scene because you kind of tended to form a bond with a lot of artists differently than I think mainstream critics, if that makes any sense. Brian, so, were you were you staff at Billboard magazine? I was freelance actually, and I freelance. freelance again. So it was like freelance ninety nine to two thousand seven, and then they had management changes and all this other stuff. And then 2015, 2016, it started up again. I mean, I write for a lot of different people. Write for Grammy dot com. Started doing a little stuff for Spin. Write for Costco magazine of all people. AV Club. So I do everything: music, movies, theater, comic books. You wrote about new metal for Costco magazine. No, that was for Billboard. Billboard. <laughs> And what is your relationship to the new metal genre, actually? Well, I started covering it. It's funny because I'm an old school metal guy, but obviously you start, you know, you're writing for all these magazines and eventually they want you to start covering the new bands as well. And there were certain bands like System of a Down, Disturbed, et cetera, they got into. And even when it was, I wrote for a magazine called Transworld Stancer, if you guys remember for a while, that's been long gone. Um, I kind of called what them Maxim for, called Transworld Stance. Oh, I don't, What was that music? It was like a skater magazine. It was sort of like a skater music and like a lifestyle magazine. Oh, yeah. I remember Transworld snowboarding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must have been like a spinoff or something. It was part of Transworld Media. Yeah. So this magazine, I called it Maxim for Skater Kids um, because they always eventually started doing the hot, you know, the hot babe on the cover every issue. Had to do it. I already see the eye roll. Issue number one of that, Brian Reisman. Brian Reisman. That's right. I don't think you want to see that that cover, but... um, yeah, so, you know, I just, and I started, I said, I mean, I got into certain bands and other ones, people like, well, we need you to cover this. I'm like, fine. So, like, I, it was covering everyone from System to Disturbed to Amen, Crazy Town, um, Cold Chamber, Papa Roach, uh, you know, interviewed uh, Joey from Slipknot. I once had a fun interview with him. Oh, so, it was cool. all over the map, and it was interesting to see the paradigm shift. And I guess it's, I know that's what you got interested in, because you... How did you find that article, by the way, the Billboard article from 2001? Whoever is responsible for this, whatever team of people is responsible for this, we need to like give them a MacArthur Genius Grant or just $50,000 because someone or some people have digitized like almost the entire fucking archive of Billboard magazine. So like the the premier music, uh, uh, is it a trade magazine? Well, this is the interesting thing. It was a trade magazine like The Hollywood Reporter. Right. Owned by the same people now. But I've noticed if you really look at the stories lately, it's a combination of consumer stuff and trade. And I think that shift started to happen in the in some time in the maybe the mid 2000s um, because, you know, you need to make money. So, like, you're going to see a lot more articles about Taylor Swift than I think you're going to see about Slipknot and Bill. Right. But that's kind of like their bread and butter. And then they can put in this other stuff. <laughs> well, um, th- this this database, it's on books.google.com, goes back to the fucking 50s like i was i was literally just the other day i was looking into the uh i was trying to find the chart action for the sound of silence by simon and garfunkel and it was i was browsing issues from the (laughs) 50s to figure out when that hit like the cash box 
charts. I'm a huge, I'm just a huge like Moneyball guy when it comes to music journalism. So in this case, I was researching yeah. one of these bands, probably the Union Underground, because I've developed a very bizarre and uh, fandom of their debut album. Can't explain mm-hmm. it. Um, but I was looking into that and I, I found this issue. This issue in general is is really focused on metal and metal in the mainstream. So this issue came out in June 23rd of 2001. Mm-hmm. And th- you didn't you didn't know it at the time. Not that I was there, but you you, you <laughs> really the the peak years for new metal were 99, right? Think of it like a roller coaster. 1999, you're like just about at the peak of the roller coaster. 2000, you are on you're on top of the roller coaster. You're looking yeah. around the theme park. It's so beautiful. This is amazing. And then 2001 is like like just a little bit well, a little over. bit but you know system had toxicity and stain had break the cycle no, like yeah were, yeah you never yeah. you would never look at that year and be like it's we're done but it yeah. but if you were paying attention which you were you could see like oh something we're mm, we might be at the peak of something because the this article that brian wrote for billboard magazine called sustaining the success basically you're just summarizing this the state of the scene at this point because yeah. metal music was was a huge a huge like sound scan smash album sales out the ass tours big business but you sum up a, you you include a ton of bands in here and yeah these bands definitely came and or went i would tell you what these your prediction here in this paragraph or, or bob shiparati to party yeah party concrete thank you concrete yeah. marketing Burn concrete yeah i'm gonna tell you what predicting that systematic and stereo mode would be platinum plus that year Oh, oh, buddy, this is really the only time in American <laughs> history you could have looked at a band like Systematic and been like, they're going to be fucking huge. Lars yeah. Ulrich, below, signed to Lars Ulrich's label? No, I don't think that was how that was going to pan out. But then you have other bands in here like the Union Underground, Taproot, Nonpoint, Scrape, all of whom underperformed. Like the most successful of those bands is Taproot with like, who did like 400,000 copies of... Uh... Well, because they were a little more l- melodic too. Yes, yes, welcome. And that, that was the key later. of what was... I think in the on the article I mentioned ballads, which is probably what you're referring to as far as things starting to go down a little bit because it was getting more commercial. And it was just crowded. It was just really crowded. And there was so much money like being poured into these bands. Um, this is... Well, first of all, why don't you tell me the scene, the, your state of the scene at the time? Where were you when you wrote this article and, and how did you feel about well, it? Well, I mean, it was funny because I was, you know, I think, as I said before, by the late 90s, I had a lot of people wanting me to cover newer bands. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And it was interesting because I went to March Metal Meltdown in, in March 1999. And that was when I saw a real shift from the metal I grew up with in the 80s to the 90s. First of all, I would say like a quarter of the people there were women. And it wasn't like women that were dragged there by their boyfriends to see like a metal show. Like they were just there on their own or doing whatever. And also like it wasn't just all white dudes anymore. You know, it was definitely like in the 80s, there were actually a lot of black kids in the metal in the 80s. They just I don't know if they always felt comfortable going to the shows. You go to like a priest or a maiden show or a kiss show. It was mostly dudes and it was white dudes. Right. And I noticed with new metal, I'm like, oh, you got more Latinos, a lot of black kids, just like a lot of more women. The female bassist was the thing in the 90s. Right. You had to have like. A hot female base. This became a cliche after a certain point. Now you've got these great women shredders today doing stuff. And you've got women and doing all the new metal stuff, right? Nova Twins and Spirit Box and everything else yeah. that's going on. But at the time, the shift was starting to happen. Um, and it was interesting. I think for a lot of old school metalheads, it was weird. And I, you know, obviously you want to have music that's going to annoy your parents, right? So some of the kids that probably got into doing metal, their parents were into old school metal. <laughs> so I was like, what a better way to annoy your parents by a new version of their music that they're not going to like. You know, um, 
and that's uh, definitely the case for me i'm a i'm younger i'm like one of the older members of the zoomer generation so when i was yeah, a kid yeah. my dad would listen to metallica pantera and then i would have lincoln park and corn which is funny though because lincoln park was more melodic and anthemic so i wouldn't yeah. think that that would actually be an issue but corn was definitely different right because what i noticed most of all is it was a lot more of a crossover from hip-hop culture and a lot of the rap rock, and I think Boston Globe even may have called it rage rock before new metal really became the term. We just hit that term somewhere. Somewhere I was rage recording rock? on something and I saw rage rock and someone was like, why didn't yeah. we say, why didn't rage rock catch on? I'm like, that's term sucks. I would also see pimp rock be thrown around in some old pimp articles looking at. Yeah, oh, that's, pimp rock. that's worse than both of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the PRP that stands for the pimp rock palace. Indeed it Fuck does. Off. What? <laughs> It really? does, for real. Holiday Kirk is getting a whole new education here this evening. <laughs> this is the fun of podcasting, I'll tell you what. Um, it, so a lot of these bands mentioned really did go down in flames, but a lot of these bands that you yeah. mentioned have songs, and even some of them have albums that I really like. Like I mentioned before, the Union Underground, I think their yep. debut is a really groovy. But, well, I mean, what really fascinates me, right, is that the so I think what where, where new metal started to go wrong was bands like Stereo Mud and the Union Underground and Scrape, they didn't like cut their teeth touring. They just did like some showcases. It seemed like they seemed yeah. like they just did a few showcases, got signed and plow, here's your album. Sell, sell a million copies or you're dead. Well, you know, the 80s, that kind of started in the 80s. I mean, when the hair band thing broke, first of all, a lot of people thought like, you know, those bands were hair metal. It's like they weren't metal bands. They were rock bands that just used the metal image, all the hair and maybe some of the leather and studs. But it was pop music. Right. And so many bands got signed, you know, because it was just, it was such a huge bonanza. MTV turned it into a thing. Right. And Bon Jovi was the band that opened the door and then Whitesnake to let a lot of that stuff get played on the, in the radio. The same way that many years later, Slipknot would be one of those bands that really opened the door for heavy music to get played on modern rock radio. You know, up until that point, those kind of bands were not getting played on mainstream radio. Not very and often. By heavy, anyway. you mean like, like heavy. Heavy. I think like Slipknot Slip were, were the first, were probably the heaviest band to come out of new metals like first slash second wave right like yeah. I, th I mean corn were heavy but they weren't they weren't slip now we've talked about that before that they're kind of like almost yeah. death metal help me guys help yeah me. they did a lot of the guys in soil were in death metal bands before they actually were in soil we when we talked to them about that i think we grilled them on some of their their <laughs> early days when we talked to tim king their uh yeah. oppressor and broken hope were the bands that tim king was in that's right well, and, uh, yeah, you're right. Slipknot was one of the first bands that had that really heavy double bass that, uh, you know, the death metal style, like I call it chainsaw picking. Yeah, but also Corey Taylor was a good singer and that was oh, kind yes. of an advantage that he had over other bands. I mean, later on, we can get into like which band, why certain bands have stuck around since, I mean, the, the late 90s, 2000s. There was definitely a paradigm shift that was going on. Um I worked retail, music retail, mid-91 to mid-92 in L.A. when grunge came in, and I saw the change. I just saw how quickly certain bands, like the third Winger came out, album came out, and people were like, yeah, whatever. And yeah. Beavis and Butthead had already some, done some damage there. But like it was, even in working in the store and seeing younger kids, I was, I mean, I was young then too, and seeing what other people were into, that the shift happened. Within a few months, it was radical. Um, and I think J.J. French from Twisted Sister had told me he knew somebody who worked at MTV at the time. And they were getting like another hairband video in. And then they had Alice in Chains. And he said it was almost as simple as look at this band over here. Look at this band over here. Let's go with this band over here. Right. Like we, like, need, we need some fresh blood. I've always I've hypothesized that um, 
that uh nelson did as much to kill hair metal as nirvana did because i think and they weren't I even think, a metal band <laughs> i know but i still think you can listen to like that their their number one single what's it called again I can't live with love and affection love and affection. Yeah. I think yeah. when you like listen to that and watch that video, I think that's when it's like, fuck this shit. Like almost <laughs> as much as smells like teen spirit. It's just like, this has got to die. Everything that looks like this sounds like this has just got to die. Cause I can't do this anymore. And I feel like a lot of people probably felt similar when like crazy town came along was it was like, it was like, all right, this has got to go. Like we can't, we can't I interviewed like shifty for trans world stance actually. What'd you say? I, oh, I you interviewed did? Shifty Shellshock. Yeah, it was funny because it was it was a, it was a decent interview. And then I asked him a personal question and we got disconnected. And I'm like, okay, so one of two things happened here. We got disconnected or he didn't want to answer the question. And the guy's the rep's like, uh, oh, you know, they're on the road, they're in the road somewhere and he got just cut off. Whatever. Several months later, we did another interview with the guy, and the guy asked him a personal question. And then like he gets dis the interview ends. I'm like, oh, that's how he works. What was the question? <laughs> I forget now. I'd have to go over my notes. I actually um, it was probably just something in the lyrics about the personal side of the lyrics, like maybe about the song Black Cloud, just something more about rather than just the music or like the chicks he liked or whatever it was. And right. and then it just stopped. And I was like, really? Like, I didn't think it was that personal, but it seems like he just didn't want to have any. I didn't think it was that intense of a question, but OK. <laughs> well, I some of these bands that you've got listed in this article in terms of like up and coming. Uh, first of all, you actually do have a section in here dedicated to like Latino representation in new metal so deftones puya sepultura non-point endo and loco yeah fear factory that's cool i mean that's I a saw good puya live there. actually you did like at the time i saw them in marshmallow meltdown it was good i mean they didn't have the entire like they had a lot of latin musicians from their family and home in puerto rico so like it kind of it was a different thing like it wasn't quite the same thing but they still had a lot of energy i'm a little surprised they actually didn't last like have the same sort of continued mainstream success because latin music was getting big at the time too the whole Ricky Martin thing was blowing up, you know, it was probably too heavy for those people. But <laughs> Yeah, probably. Um, and then you have bands up in here earlier. I, I want to say these are all Warner Brothers bands, but you're mentioning bands that did like melodic hard rock. So Buck Cherry, One Side Zero, Simon yeah. Says, Beautiful Creatures. We ju we interviewed Simon Says, by the way, a couple months ago. Oh, really? Yes, because uh, I'm a huge I'm a really big fan of their second record um, and think they're great. But there's just there's just so many bands in here from Zero. Uh, I think the Union Underground though is the one that I'm fascinated the most by. Just not not just because I think their debut album was a really good time, but because yeah. they were signed to Portrait Columbia and they were the okay. flagship band on Portrait and Col Portrait Columbia. They had so much money put into their career and making them into superstars, and their their debut album topped out at around like 350 thousand copies, and that was a fucking like unacceptable disappointment at the time. And I think that that's... <laughs> in the 80s that would have been awesome. In the 80s? Yeah. I think I, the 80s, you know, gold records, half a million, platinum's a million. Most metal bands were not going to go beyond a million unless you suddenly oh, were like a pop like band. The, you mean like the commercial expectations? Yeah, the commercial expectations. I mean, I, I, there were bands. That, well, I could get into a whole thing. I mean, you guys, I mean, how old were you when the new metal thing broke? I'll, I'm going to tell you what, by the way, about you getting into a whole thing. That is kind of how this show works. So please get into it. Um, I was when new metal broke, I was probably like five or six years old. Wow. Okay. So there was a whole, I could get into a whole thing about A&R if you want to, which goes, I, starts with, starts with the unholy trinity, do. starts with the unholy trinity of Alanis, Shania and Hootie. So back in the mid 1990s, you had three artists. It was Shania's second album. It was Alanis's third, although the first two were in Canada, basically. And then Hootie was their first. I don't know if they were self-released anything prior to that. 
And even Anne Atlantic didn't even want to release Hootie and the A&R guy just pushed and pushed. Those three artists in the span of two years sell about 15 million copies of each of their albums. They sell huge numbers. They're young. Jewel comes along, sells like between 95 and 99, sells 10 million copies of her debut album, I think. So all of a sudden you've got these, this is the way I view it. They have these young artists who are making lots of money and they didn't have to spend tons of time developing them. They got out there like Jewel is this hot babe with a guitar. She could go on Letterman by herself, you know, and enchant this audience. Other bands, like they just, you know, I mean, a band like Hootie probably toured a lot. Alanis just hit at the right time with her message. Shania was this sexy country pop gal and, and, and you know, Mutt Lang, who worked with Def Leppard and ACDC, had produced her. So I think all of a sudden they're like, well, we don't have to spend so much time. Like when uh, REO Speedwagon broke in the early 80s, it was their ninth album. When Judas Priest broke down the walls for metal in America in 82, Screaming for Vengeance was their eighth album. So like, you know, Bruce Springsteen started off strong and had a period where he, la he had to dispute with the label and then his next album didn't do so well. Born in the USA comes out about 10 years a little more after his debut and goes sells 10 million. The game was very different back then. I was told that by a, a singer from an 80s band called Ice House that the strategy was you sign a band for five or six albums. By that fifth album, they blow up. Maybe you get some extra money on the sixth album. You sell some of the back catalog and then they're done. You figure that after those few albums, they're out. So the 90s come along and A&R is like, well, fuck, you know, why do we need to spend so many years developing this act? You know, we're going to, they spent tons of money promoting shit on radio and on MTV. The radio game changed a lot where it was like, you had to spend like, I don't know, a quarter million dollars or something. I heard to like even promote a song nationwide, spend a lot of money. So what happens? They're like, okay, we're going to give these bands one or two albums. You know, we give them two or three albums. And if they don't break, screw it, we'll get somebody else. And what you saw with new metal is the same thing that I think happened with hair bands. Like, let's do a formula. Let's do a cookie cutter thing. Like, we're going to, we'll sign like five of these bands. One of them's going to break, right? And then they'll just pay, that big band will pay for the other bands. There's probably other factors at work, but it was, and also by the late 90s, a downloading thing happened. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. So it just felt like the, the, the business just became much more money-minded. And I saw Chuck D speak at uh, CMJ 20 years ago, and he said that up until the late 70s, early 80s, the music industry was run by um, was run by artists or people who understood artists. And then in the 80s, the lawyers and the bean counters came in. And that happened in Hollywood by the late 80s. Harvard MBAs are getting hired by studios because they're trying to figure out marketing plans. Because the 80s is when everything got marketed to teens. So the game really shifted. MTV did a lot of good and a lot of damage at the same time. It was interesting. I don't know if you guys ever saw the night. There's a 1999 uh, MTV news report called New Metal for the New Millennium. And they had Fear Factory. They had I'm Orgy. That shit. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And like, I mean, Orgy to me is uh, sort of. Don't, <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. Don't even. Don't try well, it. I, but I see. I view them. Here's the thing. Because I'm coming from the 80s. And I liked I liked a lot of orgy stuff, but it was like it was gothy and glammy at the same time and kind of new metally. But it didn't to me. It's like Evanescence. Evanescence. I don't know. Does Evanescence fit the new metal tag? Yes. So, yes. so for you, because I guess when I viewed new metal, what I viewed it as was this much harder corn Pantera like thing. So it was bands like Fear Factory and Corn, or say Slipknot, System of a Down. So you got those bands to me, and then some of the bands like Linkin Park, even though they got put in there, still had more of a pop edge. I guess I was viewing it as a metal fan as like the hard stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think people, when people, and, and I think that that was kind of the problem as we hit the turn of the the millennium, the advent yeah. of the millennium, whatever, um, was that uh, New Metal's Shania Hootie, uh, Alanis moment would have been Linkin Park, Papa Roach, 
and Crazy Town because all three of those bands broke big on their debut albums. Papa Roach yeah. went triple platinum. Crazy Town went number one on the pop charts and Linkin Park speaks for themselves. So then I think... Butterfly. So when you think of, of new metal, because it's like Corn like broke really big on their third album. Limp Bizkit. Yeah. Okay, I mean, Limp Bizkit, their second. But I still think that like Limp Bizkit and Corn and Deftones had a lot more of a road-tested... Like like when you think of their debut albums, Corn, Deftones, Limp Bizkit, yeah. their debut albums are very scrappy, very raw. They don't sound like they're... They're like a wash and in, in label money. But when we talk about Union Underground and Stereo Mud, those those bands like right away, their albums are really shiny. The videos are expensive. Yeah, of course, the budgets yeah. are already in place. And it's like you said, like, man, when those first records for those bands went belly up, you could just even in the music listening to when these bands did get second records, like From Zero did get a second record. Yeah. Stereo Mud did get a second record. You can kind of hear the wind out of their sales. Because I think well, they Papa were Roach, all promised least. they were going to be huge. Like you're all going to you're going to be fucking superstars. Period. Within yeah, the they always say years. that. <laughs> I mean, like think, well, they all say that. Yeah, you know, I mean, Papa Roach though they did play out a lot. I mean, they spent a few years before they were signed, so they did actually. It was kind of like Twisted, not as much as Twisted Sister before they were signed, but like Papa Roach had been around for a while. Their early stuff was not the same. I actually liked Papa Roach by the time they got to the third album, like Getting Away with the Murder, Paramore Sessions, Metamorphosis. Time for Annihilation, that stuff I actually really like because they combine the old and the new school, you know, and because I, I didn't like the, as much of their rap rock stuff in the first couple of records. I've interviewed Jacoby a lot over the years, but I thought they got better. Yeah, and I think I think that their eagerness to stay relevant has served them well in the long run for sure. But we so we did that interview with Tim King of Soil and Soil's like the ultimate band for. So first of all, he yeah. said that at least a million dollars was poured into breaking them. Like when they got signed yeah. to J records, they were told like, we, you, we will break your band. Period. Clive Davis was into it. I think he was really yeah, into extremely them. super, yeah. super into it. And as, as such, like all the videos really expensive. The album sounds like it was just a ton of money to make and it yep. sold like 400,000 copies. And that was like an all hands on deck disaster, you know? Cause it was like, cause he said that we were, we were told like we would do platinum this year. And then, you know, a thing happened It's in September of 2001 that really stalled out some of those promotional ideas. I mean, it's we, just with down toxicity, man. Yeah. That came out a few days before and then Chop Suey, they're getting I mean, all the, this flack That's really crowding the radio. Also a terrorist attack. And I mean, it was a rough yeah. month for, for new releases. I mean, that's really what, I mean, this is one of the most June 2001 articles you could yeah. really write about about new metal is because this, the diverging, the divergent paths that we could have had with metal. Maybe if 9-11 hadn't happened, Systematic would have gone platinum. Who knows? Because there was, I mean, 9-11 had that Enya effect on, on pop culture and on music where it was like none of this heavy stuff, none of this rock stuff. Everything now has just got to be really anodyne and clean and and we can't we can't have this stuff. We need Clear Channel to step in and, and be big brother. Well, I mean, you know, Simpsons, they took out the World Trade Center from the New York episode and there was a lot of stuff. I got it for a time, but there's also a lot of people who misunderstood things too. There are a lot of songs. I, I number, I'm not really remembering now, but I remember some songs get criticized. And I'm like, really? Like, yeah. did you really listen Climbing to the lyrics to, the to this song? Or are you just getting pissed off? Like, it just was a weird. I mean, I lived we in Long fallen. Island, so it was, it was, it was. You know, I mean, I know a couple of people who like outran the the dust cloud down at night, ground zero, and like it's, it was. I mean, it was a crazy time. It's funny. I don't think about it so much that way. I think it's just. 
there's always i mean there's always a need for like metal music it's just one of those genres that no matter what i mean like i i heard that like a lot of people in the warner group like in the 80s like didn't like metal but they had metallica then they got pantera by 1990 and like they had all these bands that made them money so they kind of had to like it well the idea that america didn't want metal music after 9-11 was an invention of like what the cultural gatekeepers thought was 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 what was important it was totally the opposite i mean system of a down sold like crazy yeah the pledge of the fucking pledge of allegiance to her was go was gangbusters all that year like metal was still a big deal people people wanted metal more than ever you could say at that time but but naturally like if you're up in the boardroom at at you know at a radio station or something you're going to be like well nobody wants to hear this right now nobody wants to hear this right now we let's put stained in heavy rotation and and we'll just rock that out from here on out. In fact, I actually need to check something while I've got your issue here, June 23rd, 2001. Because the other thing that I always go through these to read is I always look at the modern the modern rock chart. It's a modern rock. What's the other one? It's not active rock, is it? They have changed the titles over the years. Like, yeah, it's it might have been. It was interesting, too. Well, to modern see. and mainstream is what it is. Yeah, mainstream, that's what it was at the time, yeah. Mainstream rock. And I'm going to honestly be shocked if it's not number one or close to number one, because when I go through these issues, especially for 0102, this song was a fucking plague upon your existences. Even though I don't remember really hearing it at all. Where is it? 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 Everyone, everyone just busy yourselves in your. In this your is where books. you edit that part of the podcast. Unless <laughs> you're just doing this completely. Unedited. I'm actually going to slow this down. We're live. Oh, you didn't know. Yeah, we're live. This is okay. all live. We're live streaming right now. <laughs> Millions. I of didn't people. know that watching me oh so it is on, so it is on so it is on video oh dude no i was just joking about that sorry sorry i didn't mean to didn't i'm not to i'm out. not freaked out i wore my skull shirt wanted to make sure i looked appropriate this is this is my dad's den so like if i was in new york if i i was supposed to come a couple of days ago oh. have my wall of cds and toys behind me so it would have been infinitely cooler <laughs> yeah I, I still think i mean that's that is a very dad den the brick I know. right next it to is. the wood panel on brick one. Well, this this house, yeah, my dad bought this like 23 years ago. And like I haven't he had like his uncle who was who was a test pilot who died like in the in the Far East testing some planes. He's over there. And uh there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff. My my poor parents growing up though, my mom was a classical pianist. My dad had a funny story though, because I mean they they would buy me all sorts of insane album covers. Like I wanted anthrax fistful of metal and like I got it for Christmas, you know, like that would be that was the nice of them. It was, you know, well, I, you know what? I was the, I was an honor student. So like I was getting good grades, wasn't getting in trouble. And I just liked all this crazy loud music and my entire wall, my entire room was covered with pictures from Kerrang and like all these other metal things. I had King Diamond above my bed with an upside down cross on his forehead. And- Let me tell you, I was, cause I was correct. Right. I, I going through these issues as I read the issues and check yeah, the yeah. charts for it's 01 stained, and 02 fucking number one, mainstream rock, number one, modern rock, baby. It's been a while. Motherfucker. That song, yeah. that song ate that that year alive, bro. It did. I've read, I've read through these. It was just number one, number one, number one, number one. Like shit, what was in the air? You guys were sad, man. You guys were down terrible, bro. Like, well, man. that was the same thing. That was the same thing with like the early nineties, though. Like when things got a lot of the grunge stuff got kind of dour, and a lot of the indie rock and the dick. And I was like, oh, like I like dark kind of bands. I like goth influenced bands or dark metal bands. But well, sometimes it's like you need to have some happy stuff too. Like you got all right. All right, Every, I'm going to ask this question, and you guys sure. have to be honest. Do you like the song It's Been a While by Stained? No. Fuck no, I hate I that song. I, kinda I, so liked it. I liked it at the beginning, and then I got so sick of it, I'm like, stop. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, if you were if you were working at Billboard <laughs> and probably paying close attention to the radio, I would have also fucking hated this song. Well, well let me or tell you, I, I, so the way I discovered metal growing up, and I and now I I do enjoy streaming for that reason. I didn't. I I I hated mainstream radio. Like I remember once they played Anthrax and they didn't on WBCN in Boston. They didn't tell you who it was. And the only reason I found out who it was is because I saw the album cover and I told my parents to buy it for Christmas that year. And then the song played on. I'm like, oh, it's Anthrax. Like, you know, that's that's what we would do back in the 80s. Like, you liked an album cover? Oh, that's cool. I'll buy it. I did that with Metallica, Kill Em All. Never heard him. But I listen to college radio. And even now, I just can't listen to mainstream radio because like, and I, part of the reason I do love streaming is I can listen to whatever the fuck I want whenever I want. I just, I, I sort of p- pick my playlist, but I'm kind of curious for you guys. I'm assuming you heard a lot of the stuff on the radio. Did you guys listen to college, like metal shops at all back in the day? My radio consciousness does not start yet. I, if, if, when I look at a, one of these charts from 2003, then there are songs on there where I'm like, oh, I remember these. I remember Poem by Taproot and I remember yeah. Bottom of a Bottle by Smile Empty Soul. And I remember Can't Stop. And oh my God. I remember that band. Yeah. Right. Like those are, those are songs and bands. I'm like, okay, I distinctly remember hearing these in the minivan, but 2001 looking at these, I don't remember these fuck. I don't remember these songs. So I'm not, I'm not here yet. I I don't show up in this till 2003, but yeah. yeah. Cause, cause what else? Here's what I'll say. Right. Every time I post one of these charts, every time I post a mainstream and a modern rock tracks chart, I always get comments that are like, take me back. Oh, take me back. Return to them days. And I'm like, it's a privilege that you get to say that because when you were turning on your local alternative rock station and it was it's been a while followed by greed by godsmack crawling by lincoln park my way by limp biscuit you were miserable it was like oppressive to like have to listen to that every day everywhere you go that's why i didn't listen to it i mean i, right. I what i love about working in the industry is people just send me shit so like <laughs> i would just get i got the evanescence demos i was i was going to wind up and i got the evanescence demos like three or four months before it even came out and I had a CD of what it you sounded like. You were like, these like. guys are going to flop. Wow, this is... No, I actually, I thought they were going to be huge. I thought they were going to be big. And people, none of the, none of my outlets listened to me. And then like six months later, everyone has them on the cover. And I was just giving them a middle finger like, F you. I told you six told months you. ago. Should have signed them. going to happen. Should have signed them to Reisman Records, but oh well. It, yeah, well, I tried, but I just couldn't, I couldn't fork out, fork over the money. Like it was, yeah, I don't know. I, it was... I mean, for me, that whole time, what's interesting, though, is is how thinking about the bands that have survived since that era. That's the thing that's interesting. It's like which bands have because I feel like some of the bands that came out of the new metal era have been had more consistent longevity than, say, some of the bands that came out of the classic metal era of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, incredibly enough, like I'm looking at this list, like almost all these bands are still alive and kicking. Shout out to Nonpoint. Systematic uh, stereo mod household names but i'm talking but i'm also well, yeah. no they they threw in the towel but bands on here like uh like i don't know lifehouse fuel like somehow they're still going brian what were you about to say i'm sorry i cut you off no bro. no 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 it's like i mean like corn has been has consistently been popular through, and, and they've also they're one of those like corn slipknot i mean system we're probably never going to get any more than what we got in the last couple songs um disturbed godsmack up until until chester died lincoln park papa roach What's interesting is all those bands kind of progressed. And I think the problem that you had, excuse me, with a lot of the bands you were talking about, there was just, it was just, there were so many either clones or bands that might've been mistaken for clones because you get so much of this stuff coming out that they don't pick the right single to go to radio. If they don't pick the right video, if they don't help distinguish all these different acts, everyone's like, it's just the same thing. Like if you go through like hundred awesome or 500 awesome new metal videos from MTV on YouTube, there are certain songs that are cool, and then there's some stuff you're like, they're picking all the songs that sound similar. And it's like, 
Yeah. Was, and I mean, that's the best. And a lot of people didn't like new metal because the, the, the lesser bands would do that thing of like, I mean, it was, it was, it was not, it wasn't, it was different, right? It wasn't, wasn't blues based or classically based. It was very hip hop down tuned guitars, but there were really no guitars. So, well, some bands did, but like less melody, less dynamics, everyone hunched over to like play their bass from the bottom of the yeah. floor. But it was like, Certain bands got away with that, but they did something else. The like corn, Jonathan Davis had that weird, cool scatting that he did, right? And then they brought bagpipes into like a song Slipknot. You know, it was aggressive, but Corey Taylor had this really melodic sensibility he brought to the music. And that's um, really what I, I, we were just talking about this. Oh, I was on another podcast yesterday and I was talking about this and I was saying, yeah. I don't consider myself a metal fan. I, I don't really like metal. I like pop music. Like I'm a big hooks, choruses, structure guy. And that is what new metal is. Like even before it's metal, dude, like these are these bands are writing pop songs. But then you get to some bands, though, and it was a lot less like that. Um, like, you know, there were a lot of bands. It was just it was, you know, I mean, it's like there's so many. I can't remember half the band. You have a lot of bands listed like Nonpoint was interesting, but I also felt like there was I don't know if they stood out enough compared to what other bands were doing. You really needed a hook. And that's why Evanescence broke out, because their hook was they had like a gothic sheen to them. Yes, they um, did. And they had a lead singer with a strong personality who was also a woman. And that was a big freaking deal. And, and then they had like, but they also borrowed like the drum programming from Meteora. And they also had like the downtuned guitars and stuff. So there was enough yeah. crossover there to make it work. Um, I'm going to, I, I want to ask you guys some questions though. So uh, a colleague of yours, Kathleen Terman. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Catherine Terman. Catherine Kath, Terman. Sorry. Catherine Terman. That's right wrote a, a section right salutes saluting up and coming bands poised for stardom uh we won't belabor too much but i want to go through these and ask you guys what you think of these bands so the first band on this list baby is edema edema fans make some noise yeah exactly <laughs> like edema. they're offensively fine. bad yeah. it's just not very memorable well that's just the whole but they they did have and they and this is the thing where new metal was like hip-hop right i think didn't Chester and uh, Mike from Lincoln Park appear in their first video? Chester and Johan pop up in the way you like it. That's it. At the end of so, that video. So like they they sort of had a new metal sound, but with almost like an 80s, like the video reminded me of like an 80s party vibe from what I remember. It's like bringing the girls yeah. and, and the booze and let's just have a good time. But it didn't feel like it didn't feel that different. It was a little different. No, but, no, no, no. It, it feels it, not it really. feels. So what I actually find endearing about Edema is they are the most like off the shelf box brand new metal act you could ever listen. Like put put that first album onto this, you're gonna be like, this is the most cliche shit I've ever heard. And the lead singer, you can't ever not mention it. The lead singer Mark Chavez was Jonathan Davis's half brother. And even if I didn't tell you that, you'd know it because he sings exactly yeah. like Jonathan Davis. And it is like the most off the shelf new metal record you could imagine. But I find that endearing because because he's Jonathan Davis's like kid brother. And it's like of the Rob feels, Zombie Power Man 5000 connection. Right. I think if it sounds it's almost kind of adorable, like him trying to be like his big brother. And also Arista Records dumped tons of fucking money into this band. I've said it before, but but Edema were on the side of Del Taco Cups. Like like extra large Del Taco cups. It was like Edema now available at Warehouse Music, with the band on the side of it. Like that is how much marketing money was being spent on these guys, and that album we, went gold. That's like uh, uh oh, 
That's well, it did okay. almost. I think it eventually did almost seven hundred thousand. But another thing I oh. probably should bring up from that oh. time period is, excuse me, these guys from like the the end of the nineties. There was crazy money being spent on videos. This was just before downloading after right. everything up. And that you know too. something, Lars Ulrich was right. I don't care if people are mad at him, but he was right about what the download what downloading was going to do. You know what? I, I want to say something about that. He was ahead. right. People do. I see that take going around, but he was a real jerk ass about it. And he was going on like the MTV VMAs and doing these weird ass skits, making jokes about like how sharing downloaded files is like making out with every groupie he's ever made out with or something. It was very weird. He went about it the yeah, wrong way. That's not a great way of putting it, you know. If, he went if about a better it a drummer would have come with that message, maybe we would have listened. Oh, I, I mean, Travis was, Berker tried eventually, didn't he? It was a serious topic that he did not handle seriously, but I digress. Please go on with your point, Mr. Reese. No, no, but the point is, is that, is that, you know, I remember going into a Tower Records and I think it was really almost at 99 or 2000 and the list price on albums had gone up three bucks. I was like, you were like, and, and I was like WTF because I'm, I'm sitting there thinking that the nineties was a boom time for CDs. I mean, the fact that like, Anybody selling 15 million albums back in the 70s would have been amazing. But in the 90s, it was a new, it's the late 80s, a lot of the hair bands sold a lot. There was a new, new sales levels were being set. And because CDs cost a bit more, the profits were higher. And I think like when Michael Jackson did the, the Scream video with his sister, Janet, they spent $7 million in that video. And let me tell you, I wrote a story for Grammy about like the early to mid 2000s and the video budgets plummeted, man. Some bands were getting like twenty to $30,000 for their videos and they might've gotten like a hundred or 200,000 before. Like Guys, imagine any of our friends in rock bands getting $20,000 for a video now. <laughs> that would be fucking ridiculous. We yeah, got craft HD, services you got, you and shit. You got HD video, though. At least you don't, you're not shooting on film anymore. So I guess that it depending on who's shooting it. You, you have a, the stuff you guys can do on your phones. Like we couldn't. We had VHS, man. We, we don't want to do shit. it on our phones. We want to hire a DP, dude. We want, we want a cinematographer Good. to do it because we're Good. so tired. But but hold on before we get to in the in the in the yeah. weeds there on Adima, uh, beautiful creatures, beautiful creatures fans make some noise. Never even heard of them. Moving on, they, drowning. What well, actually wasn't I've, beautiful I've creatures? Of one of the guys from uh, oh, it was from an eighties band. Bang beautiful Tango creature. from Bang Tango. Um, Bang Tango, yeah, yeah. yeah I met him at a show. Oh, he's, he awesome. made it. He's here. Everyone, Wolf's talking. Sure. I would just like to add that the Bang Tango documentary that's available to watch for free on YouTube is one of the most depressing music documentaries I've ever watched in my entire life. Why? Well, I'll be avoiding it's just that. sad. It's, it's the delusions of what happens when you're on the cusp of making it as a rock band, but it never comes together. Which is a lot of bands, unfortunately. We're talking because about them on this very episode. Wow. So he was in two of those bands. That bites. Yeah. I remember. I, I don't. I don't remember. I, but they were a bit more melodic, weren't they? I always felt like they were a little more old school. Maybe because of the Bang Tango thing that was connection. I forget. They're, they're also, beautiful creatures, they're also still yeah. at it somehow. Now I'm looking at Bang Tango. Bang Tango somehow still at it. Oh, a lot of oh, '80s bands are still at it, dude. It's it's a little. It's like like you know when you have like the second and third tier new metal bands. It's like the second and third tier hair bands. They they keep coming back. Are they just like, like playing Reno casinos for a living? Or yeah, dude, if you can play, if you can play casino a casino to five thousand. Oh, sorry, what? Wasp is playing the casino by my house, actually. Yeah, but if they get three or four thousand people at that casino, that's still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's the difference. If they get three or four hundred people, they're still making money. I'm just trying to think of where their audience is spending their time. I think a lot of people from that demographic the casino. are probably yeah, exactly. <laughs> going to Reno, going to Laughlin, gambling yeah. sounds like that. Or Gary, Indiana. Oh yeah. my god. Okay. So I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Attack of Life, the Bang Tango movie. 
In 2014, after showing the completed rough cut of the film to current members of the band, it was felt that the film's ending was too abrupt and depressing. It originally ended with frontman Joe Lest looking at the camera stating, in regards to the band's legacy, that was then. Who cares? The film then cuts to black for the end credits. Oh my god. <laughs> Ouch. And then they decided instead... I'm really sorry to even read this. Instead, they brought the filmmaker, the, the the director out to film a show of the band that happened to be playing at the same time as a Queensryche, Great White, and Dio Disciple show. So, like, 12 people showed up at the Bang Tango oh, show. And you, you, you heard the Great White story, right? When they well, killed well, a bunch of their fans? One thing at a time, people. Oh, no, it wasn't yeah. that show either. <laughs> it was that, yeah. But no, I'm Go not watching. I'm definitely not watching this. I'm sorry. This feels this this feels like a a real a Sounds real brutal. experience. Yeah. Stream it on your Twitch. Well, I guess the karma for the, no. the karma the, the bad the bad karma for Great White is they were booked to play after a football show a few years ago, and like so like there's like five people there, like an entire stadium just empties. Jesus. And then they go on. <laughs> well, moving on though. Moving Kirk, on. So you you know all about that. No, I don't. Oh, I do actually. Fuck That's yes, a low you do. program. <laughs> So one of the more successful bands on this list we've gotten up next is Drowning Pool. Oh, yeah. Drowning Bodies. Pool fans in the house. I like Drowning Pool. They're good. I haven't kept up with the recent stuff. What do you think of the more recent stuff? The last think, album's pretty decent, actually. I was very pleasantly okay, surprised. And they've already lost that singer as well. So what, thing, what number singer are they on to now? Six, uh, I want to say. Six? I think it's number six now. That was a wind-up band. They were on wind-up with Evanescence, and that was a, that was the first album was a big deal. Sinner was a big deal. Bodies was like a very, um, very a huge hook. It was yeah. one of those songs that grabs you very quickly and very easily. And it never left the mainstream. You still it, hear it at no, every it, single sporting it's, event. It's still a, a psychotically popular song. Like when we interviewed, when I interviewed the band, I I said to them, it's like it's one of the it's a weird song that everyone knows. Like it wasn't like it was a it did great on rock radio. From what I can tell, it did really good on rock radio and, and got a lot of good placements in um in, in films. But it was it I don't think it ever charted on the hot one hundred. So it wasn't like a big pop hit, but everyone knows that damn song somehow. So they yeah, that was it. very successful then. But of course we know why their career did not quite move in the direction it was supposed to, which is because Dave Williams passed Let's away. See what the numbers are on YouTube for that song. Hundred million. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. That's low. Oh, yeah. God damn. So yeah, but but Drowning Pool is definitely of the, on the stronger side here, and who knows if the, how much? I mean, they probably look. I I think Drowning Pool would have been one of the Dave Williams had survived. Drowning Pool would have been the one of those bands where the debut goes platinum, the follow up goes gold, and then they're doing like seventy five to one hundred thousand copies forever after that. I, I I wouldn't put them. I wouldn't peg them as one of those bands that's like they do a platinum and then they do double platinum, and they do triple platinum because nobody was doing that by this point. But they would have they would have had a, a solid career. I think they would have had a good solid career. David I can see them having an identical Park. trajectory to Papa Roach. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point. That's a good point. I I could also see that they put out a second new metal album and it does like meh, and then they pivot into like post grunge, butt rock ass. And they would have been a really good butt rock band. They they would have pulled it off really well because Dave Williams was a cool cool dude with a. Good they were kind of halfway there. I mean, I mean, yeah, they would have. That would have been a very simple pivot to them. So no, I think that's actually a really good point. That is probably what would have happened. Uh, they definitely would have had a better career than Half Cocked, who I accidentally skipped over. So oh no, they are I the remember Half. They were from Half Cocked were from Boston. 
Babcock were really fucked because they signed a Spider One of Power Man 5000's record label, which, man, which was a subsidiary of fucking <laughs> DreamWorks. So nobody made any money off that venture. I'll tell you what. They were, still, was, they, they were a clone yeah. of a clone. That's wild. Dude, I can't imagine yeah. being signed a to a boutique label of a nepotism band. Megatronic DreamWorks. I think even by this point, DreamWorks was on. I don't know. What was DreamWorks' like big band? What was their big break? Does anyone know off? I mean, there's only one person in this room that could possibly know, but yeah, that's did really well. Uh, uh, Papa Roach was on DreamWorks. Papa Roach, Roach, Papa Roach, I think, did the smart thing. And what's interesting too, what something that also ties in, and maybe is what was I know was addressed in the story that you found that we're talking about was the rise of the ballad. Like Papa Roach's career was saved by scars. That song, Getting Away with Murder, was a cool tune, it was a cool video, but that song got that album i think to get up eventually to platinum you know and they had gone like double platinum triple platinum the first one gold on the second one they got up and then they just sort of like they that one did go that album did go platinum was that paramore sessions uh paramore getting with uh, was getting with murder getting with murder had that that, that stock exchange video yeah also that song also did really well by the way yeah they they were smart they were smart and what some of the recent stuff's getting a little too poppy for me like they've started there's a lot more electronic stuff in there. And I feel like when they did that album, Broken Teeth, like a few years ago, that couple of the songs had more of a punk energy because I know that Jacoby likes punk bands. So we've talked about that. And yeah, they they were smart about what they did. But most of the bands that have survived have been smart. They've changed. Um, Which is what happens with classic bands too. Uh, Infest by Papa Roach is the best-selling DreamWorks Records album. So triple platinum with a bullet, baby. Yeah. Did a lot better than, ahead of second place. Did a lot better than Figure Eight by Elliot Smith, which came out like six days earlier. So yeah. better album though. Um, but anyway, yeah. So Half Cocked. I guess we don't have much to say about Half Cocked, and who does? The next band on this list, um, some of us love, some of us don't love. Mudvayne and Mudvayne. Yeah. Mudvayne did, some... did do quite well for them, very well for themselves, actually. I do love Mudvayne. I did some Mudvayne liner notes for Sony like 15 years ago. You did? And, yeah, they did a playlist and what I and I listened, I know some other stuff, but sometimes they would just send me these things like, I want you to do something. I did a fuel com- a fuel compilation in 311. And sometimes like I knew some Medvane stuff. What was interesting is how they change a lot in the second record. They got a lot more diverse. There was more nuance to their music. Feels you know, very they, prog they a bit of, the what? It feels very prog heavy. Yeah, and a little sci-fi. Like it was definitely uh, you know, when they started off, you could hear the Primus influence and the bass playing for sure. But that was a band that kind of, you know, they started with the crazy makeup and they were over the top, but then it kind of got more nuanced on the second record. It was still heavy, but I think they made, you know, they were another band that wanted to try different things. And uh, I don't know, what do you guys think? They changed the gimmick up too. They went with like the alien masks. They changed their names. They had a really smart gimmick. They had a really smart gimmick because they could have been another Slipknot ripoff of being like wacky costumes, but they went for bold color instead of like horror movie grim visage they they did like a, a cartoonish clownish circus-ish appearance and that was very smart of them especially with their yeah, it's actually it's it's their third album because their debut you guys remember it was called kill iota and they re-released it but they had to change the name because of 9-11 didn't they but they re-released it after they put out ld50 it came out after ld50 yeah right um so and and Good dig point. being their debut album it, it shot they that's primarily them shot against a, an all-white background which yeah. is like, which again, like that pops out. It, it literally like pops out of the screen. It, it it illuminates the room when it's on. That was very, very, they were, they were very smart about that. And it's like we were saying, like you had to come correct with an interesting gimmick. And that happened to be there is like, 
So the system did it with toxicity by having the the aggressive, you know, uh, choruses, things like that with a white background. And then like the quieter verses, it was like black background. Which band? System of a Down. Oh, System of a Down. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but but Mudvayne of, of all these bands, I scrolled forward just to check. They have they are the yeah. most successful on this this list for sure. Platinum and gold and gold. Or no, three gold records. LD50 didn't go platinum. Three gold records. Still, Still for that record. kind of a band. Yeah. All right, come on. Someone else is gonna stick up for not no one. Justice for no one. I like no one. Fuck you all. I like. No one. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone here even know a no one song? No, no, I. I'm sure, I've heard one because of you, but can't name a single one. All right, well, their debut so, record, babe. which came out on Immortal, I hate to even relay it. It's better than it deserves this story. But they signed to Immortal Epic Records because Immortal had never dropped a band, and they became the first band Immortal dropped. So, ooh, not good. I not good, not good. But um, they did, they did the uh, Pledge of Allegiance tour with America Had Charge, System of a Down, and Slipknot, and. They were, yeah, definitely tipped to be a big thing. But when you listen to them, it's like, you're kind of like, huh, what, where does this fall? Like, what kind of next big thing is this? Because they, they're not a very sing-songy band. They very much do, like, no gimmick, no no frills, just drop-tuned riffage. And I, I love that a lot. I really like, uh, like, really competently well-made new metal records. And, uh, but... I could I, I, mean, I completely understand why it flew under the radar. I'll tell you that. I definitely know why it didn't count. That's where bands like, you know, Nothing Face and Dry Kill Logic fall right, in too. Right. Just really yeah. tight outfits. Just really tight. Grant, did you see No One Live? Because you saw the Pledge of Allegiance tour. That's when I went and did my merch shopping. They were the only band I wasn't familiar with. I was like, hey, let's go get a beer. <laughs> so you were part of the problem. I guess that's when <laughs> I'll go buy nine more slipknot shirts. It must be when and I have a good opposite. Shopping. I have a good opposite story that a friend of mine is photographer was at a show like in the early 90s, and uh maybe it was around 1990 or something. And the band, the opening band, you know, you were shooting film, you didn't have digital. So you didn't know the opening band and decided not to shoot them. And guess which band it became or was? Nirvana. Oh, so he could have had Nirvana God. in a club date. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, like, "These photos will oh, be worthless." Yeah, and then, I'll of course, save you know, the that, film. Yeah, but that's that's what that's what you did back then, right? I mean, nowadays everybody's gonna want this tad footage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that happens, man. Um. All right, come on. I know we got non-point fans in the building. Non-point. I like non-point. They have some. They have some good songs. Yeah. This is and some. this is why this didn't work out is because that's the reaction that we're getting here. Yeah. But a lot right. of these bands, but a lot of the bands you're talking about, that seems to be the reaction in this list, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, right. That's that was the problem. Here, I'll jump forward a little bit. Nonpoint, pure rubbish. Anyone? Moving on. Saliva, remember. saliva fans. Does anyone here really dislike saliva? I don't was, care for saliva. saliva They're not definitely felt offensively like bad, but I don't dig them. They're like an industry plant band to me. I don't know what their pedigree is, but they were, I mean, they were, they were one of the only bands on this list that had a fuck ton of money dumped into them and kind of yeah. broke from it. Didn't like they they're... put out a new album recently? They're still around. Saliva is still around. They are. Oh, and I know. I mean, it was kind of like, it was sort of like this newer rock or metal stuff with kind of like, a, I mean, they, they almost could have been a, if they were in another lifetime, they could have been a Southern rock band or something. You right. Know, that's what I think. I think that they were looked at as being like a, like a kid rocks, like a, a more radio friendly kid rock type band and it was and they were like oh these guys are going to be enormous and and i can yeah. when you listen to their their debut every six seconds you can think to yourself why record industry people would go ape shit over this but it doesn't it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel right first of all the album mo is mostly not great 
yeah. it's very it's a very mid record and uh it just doesn't feel very natural it feels like a lot of money was spent making it into what it is but the next band on here scrape shout out to scrape scrape fans scrape fans make that, some boys i like scrape a lot. album cover is what ruined their career that's my honest yeah, to god opinion <laughs> which album cover I don't Google know if it, it's scrape, a new killer America. It's like the first thing anyone says. When it's I a hangnail. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hangnail with any, a macro lens. Says. It's a real, real close look at it. It's the, it's like the first thing anyone brings up when I, I show the album. Or it's funny because the second one's a straight up dead body, isn't it? Up the dose. It's an, it's an improvement for sure. But Cran, uh, you like scrape? I didn't know that. Yeah, I saw scrape with uh, Static X and Slayer and Pantera. They were really good. Oh man, cool lineup. They didn't have an album out at the time, actually. They're just handing out like a three-song cassette tape. I like Scrape. Scrape is uh another very straightforward new metal band. In fact, they kind of sound like Seven Dust. I asked Lejean about it and I was like, how do you feel about that at the time? But they're like one innovation is they had a keyboard player that played like interesting, like new wavy synths over everything. And like that is enough for me, baby. Just just a little tweak on that formula. I love the formula. If you can just update that a little bit. And their singer had a really powerful commanding voice their guitar tones are super bright i mean that's that's why i like the band is because like the music is is super bright it's not angsty and dour even when the lyrics are kind of like that the music itself is very like upbeat and catchy so fucking album cover though i can't imagine going into a cd store and looking at it not hearing it before and going yeah that's the one i'm going home with truly (laughs) an unfortunate decision made there spine i bet a lot of brutal death metal fans bought it and like what the fuck is this yeah had the inverse effect for people into that cover (laughs) all right cram i'm giving you your time to shine spine shank i love spine shank they were part of my first ever concert you know that i do know that they opened up for slipknot do we have any other uh, strictly fans? diesel hide of callousness yeah. hide of callousness album. is one of the first new metal records i got into my crayon how old were you when you went to see that show uh 18 i might have just turned 19 years old it was uh 2000 mm. that show i had the classic dad wouldn't let me go to concerts because he knew what kind of fun he was having at concerts <laughs> so <laughs> as soon as i i had enough money when i was 18 i got those tickets we went i got in a car accident two days before that actually so my girlfriend had to drive it was a two and a half hour trek worth it wow uh yeah, I like- i'm much closer to your age than uh kirk and zz i'm 41 so all right yeah uh i like i like spine shank i think spine shank are good they had they were like pop fear factory you know they had like a cuter front man to sort of play the game a little bit better uh, but Johnny they never Santos, got total dreamboat yeah but they never got a look that was the thing about about Spineshank with me is it's like where was yeah. their Conan O'Brien performance? Where was their Farm Club appearance? Where was like their look? And they never got that look. Like yeah. of course, they, and for they a Roadrunner band too, like yeah, Chimera so got every it. opportunity they should have. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. You're right. So, I, so what I, did you guys I, think when P when POD showed up on TRL? Yeah. Uh, good for them. You know, I'm sure that they prayed yeah. over that. And, uh, and, and I mean, they showed up on TRL. I don't think it was their first appearance, but they showed up on TRL. I think in the first TRL episode after nine 11. And, and I know that yeah. I'm sure that they weren't like probably like super amped about it at the time, but they, I, I'm come on. They must've at some point thought like good timing, right? We got this song alive going around. Whoa. The Lord works in mysterious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Job, they, were an, they were an interesting band though. Bod, why do you say that? Because I mean, I ah, triple platinum, they broke out. They broke out. Well, just, uh, the, the, the music was some of the music was a little different. It was a little more diverse, and they seemed to, the lyrics seemed to be more serious. It was like system; they had a little bit more to say. But it was fucking you know? bad. 
like there's like satellite by pod was like maybe the first record i was allowed to get like like the first contemporary the tunes i liked on there I mean, not all of them but like infant like youth of the nation i think was still interesting until the children's choir comes in and then it never <laughs> recovers you can't only like only a very small handful of songs have pulled off the children's choir uh but was that first single from uh fundamental elements of Southtown just called welcome to Southtown? no it's called south town okay because i remember i I heard that song and i went out and bought the album immediately and then the rest of it sucked so bad and then i found out it was a christian band it was the one two gut punch man you're thinking of i think you're thinking of welcome to hollywood the first the first song in that is hollywood and like that's the chorus is welcome to hollywood but that album is no good most of satellite is like junk and, and you some think of like, like some all, of the singles I like, but you think of all the bands the, I'd be nostalgic for, they would be way up there, but I can't vibe with it. It's it's not doesn't really do it for me. Um, but you are you are right though that POD was a late period breakout, and I don't know if like Christian contemporary music ever had a genre that it, it struck a bigger foothold in, really. Like like triple the platinum. new metal, you mean? I don't think, even think like DC Talk went triple platinum and they were huge. What about Jarvis? Oh, Christian, the Christian thing was like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. did, did Jarvis Clay ever go platinum or triple platinum? Jarvis Clay went platinum. It, uh, probably a double, okay. probably a double platinum band. It's a good song. It's a good song. Like I like Anne Berlin, and Anne Berlin's sort of somewhere on the alternative emoish side, and they're like Christian, but I, I could care less. Like it doesn't. Really, I think they have good songs, so it just really doesn't matter to me. No, well, so the thing about so I was raised Not like Striper. You know what I mean? I was raised. <laughs> I was raised conservative Christian, and what fascinates me about Christian rock music in particular contemporary christian music like these attempts yeah. at making a mainstream christian sound is you're you are a band that has a very long list of things you cannot do that's a weird place to like start your career at is like you come into the studio and you're like here's here's the following list of things that you cannot write about yeah go like go have fun and and i think it's fascinating when when any christian band broke through despite that and POD going triple platinum. I mean, they just showed up there. Their timing on Switch that second record was impeccable, you know? Yes, yeah, they're a big one. Switchfoot is huge. So it's pretty Switch big. Switchfoot too. Had... Switchfoot too, yeah. yeah. Skillet's pretty big too, right? Unfortunately. If you're a huge racist, yeah. You're a huge. <laughs> or they're racist. <laughs> you're, a real, you're a real jerk. Um, the next band on here, Stereo Mud. Stereo Mud, who uh, I, I also brought to LeJean Witherspoon as being like, you guys were stereo really good. Stereo Dust. You were, yeah, Stereo Dust. Fucking. I and I like some stereo mud songs. I I have probably have a bigger stereo mud affinity than anyone you fuckers know, but they're right. such a seven dust like ripoff. It just drives me nuts. How but isn't was... there like like this thing I noticed when I was growing up with eighties metal and used to try this with new metal stuff? There are bands that are like sort of similar to other bands, but you you forgive it sometimes because there's. I've discovered that if you like a genre of music, you're going to forgive things more than other people. Like whether you like goth or Boy, emo or punk, whatever. Man, ain't that the, that's my day-to-day life, baby. It's every day I wake up and forgive this genre for its shortcomings. I'm like the Christ figure of new metal. That's that's where I wanted this to go. But they, include, they included here in this paragraph on Stereo Mud are the other bands that were signed to Columbia Records at this time, which included System of a Down, uh, Flybanger, The Union Underground, Endo, Slayer, Spike 1000, and Unida, which I actually never heard of at all. Um, And that's an interesting, you know, uh, System of a Down and maybe like Slayer aside, all these bands tanked. (laughs) Stereo, like Stereo Mud, Endo, Flybanger. I just got into Flybanger too. Do you guys like Flybanger? 
That's I've heard flybanger. I haven't okay. investigated or heard much of it now. I'm going to give you a shot. Listen, I know Canadian Pantera might not sound like it's any good, but it's it's a lot better than you're thinking. Okay, it's a lot better than you're probably thinking. But they're too um, melodic to be compared to Pantera. Really? Yeah. Maybe they're like maybe. Canadian Damage Plan. Do they wave Confederate kind of flags in Canada? I hope not. Um, I was watching a, an old Velvet Revolver live performance from Ozfest in mid two thousands. I think it was in Europe, and somebody was waving a Confederate flag. I was like, Ooh. "What? <laughs> wow! Got to be edgy somehow." They, they know anyway, about Slash, right? I mean, <laughs> you'd be surprised, actually. You know, that so, some people can be racist and still like certain people that aren't white, right? You know, they just they like the music as it suits their needs. Yeah, the Trust band them. on here that we have the closest connection to is Spike One Thousand, which was one of the first like three or four bands we interviewed on this podcast. I think that was just me and Wolf. I don't think you guys were there for that. But Spike 1000 means a lot to me because their one and only major label album, Waste of Skin, is incredibly good. Like, remarkably fucking great. And they did terribly. They, they That album went under really bad. And they, but they, and they never made money anyway. Like, they never got a music video. They were barely scraping by on tour. And they were they were very much a band that was like crushed in between the gears of uh of this of the major label enterprise. But yeah, it's like you said, you know, sign everyone, see what happens. Of this lineup, System of a Down probably paid for every other band on there. System of a Down and Slayer, they probably paid for every other band on this list. You know, yeah, you know, it was it was I think it was an interesting time because I'm older than you guys, and so I I think you. As it goes on, there's certain bands you can figure out why they're popular. Like I, I know why Monoskin is popular, the Italian band. Like there's a lot of reasons why. Can a lot of my friends. Stop it! Can you do something about that <laughs> if you understand it? <laughs> well, yeah, my girl. Tom Morello did a song with them. It's fucking weird. So bad. The, the video is interesting. I mean, I, you know, I kind of get certain things. It's but I think, like I said before, new metal was that thing that pissed off old school metalheads. There were certain bands. I mean, somebody even made one of my editors made the comment that Disturbs Believe is kind of like their version of Queen's Rex Rage for Order. If you really go underneath what they're doing, they were actually a very melodic band. And I was actually made a list. It was interesting of all the new metal bands that did 80s covers, like a lot of new oh, wave. That stuff. list like, was long. I mean, Orgy did Blue Monday. Disturbed does Shout. Corn does Word Up. Fear Factory does Cars. Alien Ant Farm gets their big hit with a Michael Jackson cover of Smooth Criminal. Mudvayne, King of Pain, Cold Chamber, Shock the Monkey. It, songs that were so different than the kind of format they were doing, too. I want to say, because I've thought about that, too, the phenomenon of uh, new metal bands doing 80s covers. Non-point in the air tonight, by the way. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, the phenomenon uh, Slept Out with 99 Red Balloons. Of, 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 who could fucking <laughs> yeah, forget the hidden track on Iowa? Um, <laughs> did you say Let's Go Crazy by Incubus? Fascination oh, Street by Chimera, A Night Like This by Professional Murder Music. Oh, Professional Murder Music I mean, fans Fascination in the house. Street, that's an interesting choice, Fascination Street. They do a pretty good cover of it, too. I like their cover of it. But um, You said it was Incubus? Incubus did Let's Go Crazy Okay. by Prince. And then um, Stabbing Westward did The Killing Moon uh, and Bizarre Love Triangle. I mean, we're going to be here all day. I'm not going to name all of them. But, but Incubus is also interesting because they completely went in a different direction. After the first couple of years, I mean, it went, they changed a lot. Really? Like, like, I think that, I think that they, they were they one were of a lot the, less heavy later though. You know what? They were one of the first bands to sell out new metal to be like, we never identified with that stuff. Like, yeah. I think they were getting interviewed for the, uh, they were in spin magazine for, um, morning view. And they were like, we, we never, we never consider ourselves a part of that scene. We were always just doing our own thing, man. Like we don't, we don't like rap rock, all that stuff. We don't like that aggressive stuff. 
which is infuriating because it's like, well, your your best album is new metal. You should maybe have stuck around a little longer. But I mean, it worked out for them. They went double platinum two years in a row. There's a song, by the way, that you fuckers could never get rid of on the radio was Drive. Man, the ballad was back, huh? The ballad it was. was. I mean, that's back. that was that's what I that's I mean, uh, it was EJ Johansson who I interviewed, who was I just had gone from Metal Blade to Prosthetic, and then he signed Lee signed Land of God after that. And uh, he pointed that out to me. I'm like, you're right. Because like Stained, some of their biggest songs are ballads. Um, and other there were other bands. I and mean, Scars obviously saved, uh, I think, saved Papa Roach's career. Um, Disturbed, one of their biggest, if not their biggest song is what? <laughs> Silence. Which That is, like, is their know. biggest song. Yeah, I, still, it's like a billion, I think it's a billion views now on YouTube or just shy of a billion. I remember when that happened in 2016 before i even you know cared about new metal and new any of this stuff just thinking about how weird it was that disturbed were like in the top 40 of the hot 100 i'm like oh okay with the with the worst fucking cover ever by the way so bad jeez when i saw them live in 2016 they were that was like their tour they were debuting that cover on when it finished the fucking crowd went wild it yes, really resonated I, with I know, that audience. you just Oh. But it's cool, at least, that it's like that you're getting older songs are being reinvented. And I, I mean, it's kind of it, it's interesting, though, that like new metal was so radically different than what had come before. And yet they still underneath. It's like when Papa Roach, they got more melodic and Godsmack. I remember interviewing Sully and the guys on four. We were out in Hollywood. They're doing a listening session and it, they had completely they didn't change. But the, there were a lot more hooks. It felt more hooky on that record than they had. Which previously. record? Four. Four. The fourth album. Oh, really? They always. They were always uh, Brian, pretty... quick question about him uh in inches how big were the lifts in his shoes <laughs> well he's definitely shorter than 510 and I think he must have been like at least three or four he's he's, he's shorter than me I, I don't think he was wearing anything like that he had he had boots it's a good point well, I didn't we only think about got it that much we only got one band left on this lineup and I know it's the one we've all been waiting for systematic yeah. woo <laughs> there's the woo and I love that the I love that the first uh, sentence of the systematic write up is "Don't think success is assured just because they're signed to Lars Ulrich's new label." Oh, I'm not. <laughs> Don't worry. I didn't think that at all. <laughs> we're gonna be huge. We're well, I'm sure Lars when you were five or six, you probably weren't thinking about it that much. You're like, "Yeah." Hey, I mean, at the like time, like 2001, they probably were like, "Yeah, this is great. We're in the money," but. They were not in the money, my friend. They were not. I, I need to look that up, too, because I need to know. Of course, he just called it the music company. I need to know who else were at it at the time. Systematic, though, that album, that album I pointed this out recently is one of a couple new metal albums that uh, allmusic.com gave one and a half stars to. And uh, I'm going to tell you what. It's not great, but if you if you love the genre's uh, cliches as much as I do, there's definitely some good riffs and stuff to to be found in there but it's it's hard in to metal like and most. mainstream criticism you really can't it's only in i think for i feel like with metal and horror it's only in the 2000 in the 2000s even more in the like the last decade the critics have finally come around to accepting a lot of these genres like you still don't have a lot of metal bands in the rock and roll hall of fame but it's like they're starting to i think okay this stuff's better than we thought it was like a lot of a lot of these bands in the 80s got trashed and who cares i mean that's what's great about metal the fans don't give a shit fuck man Lars Ulrich signed like one band to his, his label. <laughs> oh, you know what? No, there's a couple on here. Lars Ulrich's The Music Company signed DDT, Goody, G-O-U-D-I-E, and Brand New Immortals. All household names headlining on Not Fest every time it comes around. 
combined those those none of those bands by the way sold more than five thousand copies of any of their albums like i said household names the macho man rap album did better than some of these See, vanity labels don't work out bon jovi had a vanity label for a couple years at the beginning of the 90s and they maverick sure did that's a that's a rarity though the exception, uh, not the rule. I know it's the that, exception, not the rule. Yeah, with Madonna, she was. I but mean, it, she was smart with Alanis. She was very smart. They were the only label that I think that actually cared. And they I'll gave tell her you what. I'll tell you what. Of these bands, Systematic are Guns and Fucking Roses next to these other Lars Ulrich's bands. Somewhere in between, did seventy thousand copies. Whoa! Fantastic. Is, I mean, they were superstars on that. Break label. out the bubbly. You got to remember, like when thrash bands were coming up. You know, to do like twenty, thirty thousand on an indie label or forty thousand was awesome. You know, because they weren't, you know, they hadn't done that before. All the metal blades and mega forces of the world were coming up. Yeah, but the just... game, the game's changed, man. I mean, streaming now is really has shifted everything, and that's tricky because you can have great streaming figures, but people might not show up to your shows. Yeah, and you ain't that the truth. And you bring up a, a good point in your article that the other problem that new metal might have would be that this ballad stuff would chase away the people that were into new metal because it was heavy. And those people would dive into even heavier bands. Like you got a few named here, like a uh, six feet under cradle of filth and uh Demu Demu Burger. Demu Burger. Demu Burger. Yeah. Well, black, yeah, black metal, black metal and death metal. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Cranfather, that's exactly what happened to you, right? Pretty much. Yeah. You dipped it. Uh, you heard, you heard those opening notes to it's been a while. And we're like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out folks. I'm done. But I think uh, Slipknot going even harder and heavier with Iowa had me craving even harder and heavier stuff and faster drums. And that's kind of, I ended up discovering black metal and death metal as a result. Right. And uh, yeah, well, and it's, it's a gateway. And, and I think new metal, like going down that ballad path is when it just kind of like the real nadir of this, the scene was Limp Bizkit's behind blue eyes cover. Like that to me is like the, <laughs> the sludge, like leaking out of the barrel. <laughs> Yeah. No one knows what it's like. I can't even imagine how fucking infuriating it must have been to see that video like on MTV at the time. Here's Fred Durst sure shirtless <laughs> in a white void talking about no one gets me. No one understands. Like, dude. Like, well, that was for the Gothica soundtrack, right? I think Halle Berry's in that video. Oh, she's in that video, buddy. They make out in that video. Oh, no. You don't remember that? It's yeah, the- you know what? That's right. Maybe I blocked it out. Just like I blocked out her making out with Billy Bob Thornton. Thanks for putting <laughs> A that little out. more to making out. but For the duration of the entire like bridge of that song, which is also really bad, they're like making out with each other. And it's 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 one of those things where like... like Brilliant like, casting on his part. Like where the backlash against Fred Durst, you just imagine it just coming... Because ah, people wanted <laughs> to see that guy take a fall, and now he's like on TV being like, "No one gets me." Like, fuck this. Well, guy. Like, he I, said it's interesting because like both. So he and well, remember that that song that he and Jonathan Davis did, "All in the Family," like the, the rap, yeah, album. the trash talking thing, which Davis totally regrets <laughs> later <laughs> on doing that. This is a terrible, terrible song. Like it's interesting because they both talked about how they didn't like the fact that the kids that would bully them when they were growing up have shown up in their audiences. Yeah. And I'm like, but there's a big difference between the lyrics of Corn and the lyrics of Limp Biscuit. Like, Limp Bizkit. I, it's weird. Limp it's weird to see him in his 50s doing like break stuff. Like, there's certain songs like it's almost like Skid Row doing "We've Gone Wild," 
right? Like you can't really do that song in your fifties. No, I disagree. I disagree. Really? I think, that those, think you... I think that those sentiments, I think that, yeah, like youth gone wild or we are, we are the youth of the nation. That's, that's a little difficult, but the sentiments of break stuff, those don't go away. We still, I still, I still, I'm 30. Sure. I still want to break stuff. I know you hey, when you're 50, you might be kind of like, eh, you know, it just feels like there's certain things. It's kind of like there's certain songs that like, I noticed that, uh, like, um, Nickelback and their in their set list because I like some Nickelback stuff, which horrifies my metal friends. But um, they've done, they have a lot less sex songs now. When I interviewed Chad oh, last and oh, Mike last, thank you and thank you God because yeah. Of, so, because... so I interviewed Chad and Mike for Billboard last year. I'm like, so there are less of these songs. And he's like, yeah, you get to a certain age, like they're in their late forties now. It's like it's kind of creepy to be doing certain types of songs, and like that's the thing. Like some metal stuff, I think new metal. Some of the bands it might be difficult to get. It was a different. It was a different vibe. I mean, there's a lot of the hair bands. I see them in their 50s and 60s. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like some of this stuff, maybe not. But if you're talking on a nostalgia factor, yes. I mean, Fred Durst doesn't have the energy he used to. But you watch recent footage of him, and the crowds bump, jumping up and down, and going crazy. But it seems a little. I guess a little. Some songs to me just don't seem like you can do them when you get that much older. I don't think I. I disagree. I think yeah, that a lot of that most recent tour in California, and I think that he still did a really good job selling what he was singing. Yeah, I, I think that that's why new metal is resurgent now is because I think a lot of those guys that are in their 40s and their 50s are like, fuck, I still feel like this. They listen to crawling or they listen to break stuff and they're like, I still feel like this. Like, why do I kid myself? Why do I listen to Bob or, Dylan? Or it's also honestly nostalgia because a lot of the stuff that I see with Jack Can't discount it. Can't discount it. You know, I think it's more nostalgia than anything. Like, I was an Olympus Biscuit Easy fan. there, buddy. Of- <laughs> this is hey this is this is my movement you talk about all this is nostalgia hey, man, I'm, now. I'm just, look i what i find interesting is nostalgia stuff that i grew up with is that i'm getting into genres like synth pop i didn't care about in the 80s because all i cared about was metal for like five years it was just like metal all the way and i could care less so all of a sudden like and you might have this happen to you with 90s stuff you'll be like oh i ignore this entire genre and now i'm like it's like a weird nostalgia trip where you're nostalgic for stuff that actually happened when you were a kid but you actually didn't listen to it. Yes, new metal. It's like it's it's it's, it's what? <laughs> That's yes, my man's. When I was yeah. when 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 the year two thousand and I couldn't go out and get a copy of Chocolate Starfish. I was eight. I mean, yeah. I guess I could have, but I was a I was a very good kid. You're a good and, boy. And that was yes, that was that apparently used to edit philosophy. out the swear words on dirty albums. Yeah, I I was. It's not a joke. Too, too good for that. So, but anyway, like yeah, just to bring it all home, this is I I mean this is. Really, the this is the stuff that actually fascinates me because I don't listen to like Deftones and Corn and Limp Bizkit. I I will put on a fucking Stereo Mud album way sooner than I will put on like Follow the Leader ever again because yeah. these bands, the ones that seem to just disappear into nothingness, are the ones that fascinate me the most. Despite despite being products of the most profitable, the most like ostentatious era in record label history, these bands came along, got signed, got dropped, and just went away so dude this- i dude i love the underdogs i'm a huge horror movie fan and like you know i like crazy weird movies or i just like movies you're not supposed to like so i just think they're you know do you, want psych- uh, do you want a psycho gorman do you want a psycho gorman i've been told you the second person to tell me about practical effects movie but the second podcast i'm on somebody's mentioning so what's what's the movie like for you uh it's it's every horror movie i grew up on with nothing but practical effects and humor and it's just it's brilliant it's japanese no canadian sounds like a japanese title you know like i just have like the three <laughs> like an anime title speaking of japanese canadian that is about going to be a wrap from me does anyone have any closing thoughts because i'm gonna I, I have my closing fucking thoughts justice for the union underground 
justice for scrape <laughs> justice for stereo some stereo mud scrape and scrape and the underground have like full albums that i think are are quite good uh very strong um a lot of these other bands it's like singles and then i mean drowning pool and mud vein they don't need defense but but really i guess the deal for me is it's like go a little deeper check out some of these off the radar bands and and see what you think because when you limit yourself to just the bands that maybe you're nostalgic for is it's it's you know you limit yourself too much and by the way i just scrolled up and accidentally found this there's a warner brothers advertisement in this issue called a we're harder than you think and it's of some guy getting a skateboard broken on over his junk and uh he has a tantric uh, ink written tattoo on him. I definitely want to. I want to talk to members of Pete because Pete definitely got crushed in the gears. But you know what? Shout out to Pete. Prize fight, one side zero insolence. I guess they weren't as hard as they hoped they would be. But you know, I'll take all these bands over tantric. Tantric were the well, ones. One side zero were kind of eclectic. I remember reviewing that from Metal Edge, and they it was like sixteen or seventeen songs, and it was like they were very different. It was not simply I like one that album. sound. I like I mean, that I, album. I like. I like. I mean, even if people is don't this like, room getting smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Like even if like say say some people don't like Avenged Sevenfold, right? I will give them I give them props to the fact that on every almost every album there's one or two songs that are very different than the rest of the album. Like they at least try something different. And I think the only way you can have longevity as an artist is to try different things. Now with the bands you're talking about that didn't make it or get as far, you can always find these gems out there. I think the thing is like we're a very hits-driven culture. So people figure, well, if you're not big, it's not important. And it's like, well, no, but to certain people who are fans of a genre, it is important. Like, I love goth, and I'll find all sorts of obscure goth bands that people don't care about. But I'm like, ah, there's there's two or three songs here that are really fucking cool, you know? And there's also a new, I mean, obviously for you, I mean, are you, how much are you listening to a lot of the new? Because you, you did have, Loudwire did do that story about how the, the interest in new metal is the biggest since it's been, it's been since 2004. And your tweet was quoted in there. My tweet was why they did it. There you go. <laughs> you, have, you have no idea how many magazines ran their own versions of that article, all quoting the same tweet mine but yeah i mean well i i it's this is this is really an extension my fascination in this era the one that you wrote about in this article brian reesman yeah. was that all these bands got big budgets to make their music and even if they didn't pan out i still want for these younger new metal new core bands to get the kind of budgets where they can just focus on making music like i don't know anybody that works on music that gets to do that full time. Like they all have to do day jobs and night jobs and side jobs and gigs. Yeah. Like that sucks. And I think that that's why we're cheated out of so much great rock music is because at least, at least when systematic were in the studio, they weren't also delivering pizzas. They were in that motherfucker racking up huge debt that would never get paid off, but they got that, you know, <laughs> saliva got their $400,000 music video. They got two of them. And I want or not saliva soil. I don't know. Saliva got a couple yeah. of those, but um, yeah, I want that for are... the I want that for the younger bands to some degree. I know we can't have this back, but to yeah. some degree, we have to put the commercial incentive back into making heavy music. We're missing. Well, there, and there's a lot of young, like I pointed out, there are a lot of young women that are doing it now too. You know, and uh, it's a different, you know, and it's in black women too. So like, there's a really interesting mixture, and that started in the late '90s. I mean, that's one of the things that. People, I mean, a lot of people said that new, new metal was angry white guy music, and for a lot of cases it was, but there were a lot of bands where they were way more mixed. You know, the representation was way better than when I was growing up, for I sure. I agree. The visibility, of course, was the white guys, but when you yes. when you when you dive down a layer, there's a lot more diversity, which is true about like most scenes, but still. But yeah. um, 
yeah, that's really my my fascination. So I do want to thank you though, just for your work as a music journalist and as a music sure. critic. I think that you know you make you got guys like you make the fucking world go round, even well, if you're you. not made your due. And I I know that you made probably like hundreds of thousands of dollars writing these articles and millions millions but i will i will but i will i'll plug my podcast which is called side jam no i don't think I, so this is a rap though from holiday <laughs> Car- no i'm just, oh yeah sorry. <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> no no but like you know because i actually it's like i i've interviewed i actually and i interviewed serge tonkin for for that like i started oh, never mind plug away <laughs> yeah yeah so like and i i had the same thing that happened to you so now it's a video podcast it's in the last like year and a half it's a video podcast but i started just as audio about four years ago and Serge and I had a conversation about all his activism, but I said in the middle, I said, you know, by the way, isn't it interesting that I think some people that are fans of yours haven't listened to your lyrics? Like you got a lot of right wing people that clearly haven't paid attention. And he's like, I mean, does it bother you? He's like, you know, I don't really care, but it's like, you know, if they think the music's great and they like it, that's cool. But like, if you think it's groovy and you're dancing to it and you're, you're into this all this time, did you not pay attention to a fucking word I said this entire time? Like and and so the the headline I got quoted in like Yahoo, NME, all these places. It got some good traffic, but you think it would get better traffic? And I'm sure you experienced the same thing with all the stories written about your podcast. Like you get was, some traffic, but other people one, are, are. There was one magazine, Rock Sound, that actually tagged me like in their tweet about it, and it was a, it, the traffic really? was actually incredible. Like it was a like in a day, I think I racked up like five thousand new followers. And uh, but yeah. big shout out to Rock Sound. So. Yeah, yeah, my Surge my Surge one blew up. You know, I got I think it got up like I don't know in a couple of days it gotten like like five to ten thousand trillions. <laughs> I was like, okay, but he also shared it on his social media, and then that it helps. got it made it made the rounds. But at the same time, I've I you can have some that people pick up, and they all cannibalize everything. They should actually have your podcast. I, they should either have the, the link, or if it's on video or whatever they do, they should actually put it in the story because they're fucking quoting you. <laughs> I'm dead, and uh, I do appreciate those, but. And um, you should link us up with Surge. <laughs> Subtle. Yeah, no. Yeah, he's uh he's you know, I should check. I mean, you can I can ask. It's uh he's uh he's he's gone in a really different path. And I know some people probably don't like the I mean don't maybe don't get it. I think a lot of what he's done on this uh, outside of his system is cool, but I'm I listen to a lot of different genres of music. When he's been put to the test, you know, when they've kind of hit him, when when journalists have hit him with the new metal gotcha question, he's had very interesting like nuanced answers to the question so i would be genuinely like really fascinated to speak to him because i don't think he'd be the kind of guy to be like all that stuff sucks and we were never that i think he'd have a lot of interesting things to say so shout out to and and i would get to ask him about how it felt keeping columbia records live for those couple (laughs) of years like man you guys really made up for all the uh all the stereo muds you had to deal with didn't you and he'd be like i don't know who that is i'm like okay moving on uh wait wait, so here's last question then which bands do you want to see come back it's like System is a band that people want a new album from. I don't know if we're ever going to get it. Are there any bands you want a new album from or you want to see them come back? Great question. It's a great uh, question because it's like, well, who would be able to come back and make it? Mud, Mudvayne should make a new album, I think. I, I think that their reunion tour was very successful. People were super excited to see them back. The The concert footage that I've seen, they've been a, they're, they're in good, fine fighting form. And I would and they're headlining this summer. Yeah, I think that they should. I think they should check into it and see what they could do, because because I could yeah. see them putting out an album that gets a really good reception. So Limp Bizkit should. Uh, I mean, I mean not Limp Bizkit, Limp Bizkit too, but um, Mudvayne should definitely come back and uh, put out another record, and so should Puya. I don't know. We'll throw them in there. So should. Yeah, so Puya should, was. Uh, they had some Come back, buddy. Johnny, yeah, I would love to see Spinecheck return. But uh, this has been. I'd like to once again thank our guest Brian Reisman. Brian, could you just directly to let the people know where they can find you. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the best thing to do is like look up Side Jams with Brian Reisman on YouTube. There's also like an audio only version. I have my website, but it's down because I'm kind of redesigning it right now. I also have a muckrack page if you want to see what I've been working on lately um, for Grammy and, and Billboard and a whole bunch of things. Just like not, you know, like look up muckrack plus Brian Reisman, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the whole the whole bit. It's all out there. This has been Holly Kirk with the New Metal Agenda, reminding you to do your best to platform and support all the new young bands that are making this music and uh, have yourselves a great evening.